Greetings, everybody. A big thank you for listening. This is Hear Her Sports, the female athlete podcast, and I'm your host and producer, Elizabeth Emery. Once again, we have another terrific episode. There's so much I love in this conversation with 16-year-old skateboarder Bryce Wettstein. From her description of skateboard tricks, her board and parks, to a really interesting take on being creative and analytical in her sport. I've been thinking a lot more about how she describes losing control during creativity. I'm so appreciative that Bryce made time for me even as she was recovering from a cold, so a big thank you to her. If you are not adept at the language of skateboarding, head to the show notes at hearhersports.com for links to tricks Bryce talks about along with a bunch of other stuff. So let's get started. Here today is Bryce Wettstein, a professional skateboarder and the 2019 USA National Champion for Women's Park Format. This summer will be the first time skateboarding is in the Olympics and Bryce is on the Team USA Skateboarding with a shot at Skating Park in Tokyo. Bryce travels a lot to compete, keeps up with school, surfs, plays volleyball, and writes songs on her ukulele. She's been skating since she was very young and even has a little wooden bowl in her backyard. Welcome, Bryce. I'm really excited to have you here on the podcast to talk about skateboarding. Hi. Nice to meet you. Nice to see you. Thank you for that nice introduction. Oh, you're welcome. Congratulations on all your recent successes. It really is exciting that it's coming at a right time with the Olympics right around the corner. Thank you. Yeah, it's all it's all really crazy and new, and we're all just embracing it. It's, it's pretty insane. <laughs> yeah. So skateboarding will make its debut in Tokyo. So could you start us off with an introduction to Olympic skateboarding? Yeah. So Olympic skateboarding has recently just developed over you know, the past couple of years and girls all around the world have taken the sport and guys and we've all kind of been in it, seen the artistic side of it. And all of a sudden it's developing onto an athletic playing field on this big, huge stage in the Olympics. So I think we're all just pretty freaked out by it, like in a good way, because it's so new and it's a completely new asset to skateboarding. Mm -hmm. So we're all taking it in together and it's definitely new for every single person. So it's just kind of like this big evolution in my life now. But you've competed in skateboarding. I mean, competition in skateboarding isn't new. Is that correct? Yeah. Competition has been in skateboarding for for a while now. The distribution of the contest skating has gone so far in the past years, too. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about how skateboarding in the Olympics will be judged and, you know, what the judges will look for and how the scoring will be done? Well, all I know right now, I know that a lot of this is very new. So we're still kind of taking it in firsthand. We're not completely entirely sure. But right now, based on the Olympic qualifiers formatting, the way the judges are looking at how the judges skaters are based on style, speed, flow, trick difficulty, how much creativity is in the park, how much the skateboarders are making the obstacles look different from everybody else, because everybody has their own different fluidity and style that they showcase on a skateboard, so everyone makes the park look different. So I think the judges are really looking at each individual skateboarder and seeing the things that they do, how hard their tricks are, which lines they plan out because each skateboarder has their own method of madness, so it's just really cool to witness. Right. Do you know what the park's going to look like? 
I haven't actually seen the Olympic Park yet, but I know they have a lot of outlines of what the park is going to look like, and I think we can all kind of infer some of the things that are in the skate park because, I mean, it's not like they're going to redistribute like some total new skate park right. that we haven't been doing in the qualifiers, but I haven't really seen what it looks like yet. Right. And you said each skateboarder makes the park look different. What does that mean? Basically, there's this big park with all of the same obstacles. Everybody has this equal challenge, but in people's heads, they always grow up. It's kind of like a painter. You know, everybody has their own creativity in their head and their own ideas that are kind of twisted around in different ways. And nobody has that same idea because there's so many different combinations and variations and rearrangements in skateboarding. It's kind of like language, you know, everybody has their own little secret code language. So we can all relate to each other on the skateboarding platform, but then everybody dives like a million miles deeper because everybody has their own separate language apart from everyone else. And basically everyone makes the park look different because somebody will do like a big air to gap to lip slide across this big coping section in the bowl. Well, another person will want to air super, super high in the air because that's just what speaks to them in their heart. They want to go really fast or air really high. And then another person would just want to take that and do like this flip, <laughs> like kickflip or flip their board. Everybody has their own style and trick mechanism. So, And that's what makes skateboarding so unique from any other sport is because there's no like one baseline objective. There's just everybody being themselves. Yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, that was the one thing I noticed when I was preparing to talk to you is that creativity, the word creativity was brought up so many times. And that's just far into the kind of sports that I've done in the past. So that's really interesting. Yeah, definitely. What makes a trick hard? Well, what makes a trick hard is definitely the amount of time lapse and like specification in the trick like how detailed it's almost like you know that's another thing though because it's very interpretive like I'm just going to compare it to a painter again like you see a painter painting their painting <laughs> and there's just a bunch of like you know splotches or something or even Mozart or music some of them are very basic like they look basic like oh that's cool but to them there's so much detail in it and so much like pinpoint things that symbolically speak to them and that's the same thing in skateboarding so sometimes the most basic thing will look so easy but it's so hard to somebody else because it speaks to them different right and everybody has their own representation of a trick some people think airs are way easier than grinding some people think grinding is way easier than airing so it's really up to the person but for me i'd say a hard trick I don't know. I think nobody can argue that flipping your board or like spinning in the air is a little hard because that's so much energy going on that you have to really get yourself into a state and manipulate any like fear and push it out of the way mm-hmm. and just go for it. But yeah. Do you have any signature moves or what are your signature moves? Um, I'd say some signature moves right now are moves that like maneuvers that I really resonate with. So there's this trick called a 5-0 where your board is kind of 
sitting one side up from the other side. So it's like standing up in the straight air on the coping and then moving across the coping. And then at the end, you kind of go to tail. So it's a very fast, elegant move. There's not a lot of like thinking going on. And then one of my things that I love, I love kind of going in backwards on tricks. I feel like for some reason, my brain's built in this weird way where I like to go in backwards on some things rather than forwards, which is kind of odd, but I really love like 50-50 fakies or feeble grind fakies or just a lot of fakie tricks or even simple things like rock and rolls where you you put the board onto the coping of the deck or the deck and then you take it off real quick. So it's like a rock and roll. So those are just some simple fun things I like. For those of us who are not into skateboarding, what's a fakie? A fakie is, okay, imagine imagine a big roller coaster and you're on the roller coaster and you start going reverse on the roller coaster, like going backwards down a hill. Oh, It's almost like that, but you're standing up and not as fast, obviously. And sometimes it can be at an angle or curved, depending on what the transition's like. Mm-hmm. But there's some really funny names. I think that's another funny thing about skating is, Besides the metaphorical language, there's also such a literal language, like like the trick names. Some of them are like 270 people, which is one of my favorite tricks. But What's that one? So a lot of the numbers, like 270, 270 degrees, that's basically what, like a 270 mm-hmm. degree feeble. So feeble is where one side of your board is on the coping and then the other half of your board is off the coping. So could you describe the park and sort of go through what the different parts are? Like you talk about the coping. I assume that that's the part up at the top, right? With the the metal. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Okay, so the coping, yeah, is the rail, like the metal rail at the top of the ramp. And that's basically on every single ramp a lot of times. Mm -hmm. But sometimes there'll be a bank wall. And a bank wall is where there's a big ramp but there's no coping at the top, so it's a very mellow. It's a very mellow section of the ramp. And then other times there'll be a bigger transition with vert, and vert is the kind of ramp that sticks kind of straight up, like vertical. And then there's um, also things called, like, you know that the difference between a bowl and a park and street and all that is, or do you? Go ahead, tell me. (laughs) (laughs) I know that you have a bowl in the in your backyard so I sort of know what that looks like because I saw some photos yeah well a bowl is basically where it's concave it's circular it's like a bowl but sometimes bowls are different they have hips in them and hips are these little ridges in the sides of the ramps where you can air over right and then other times there's a waterfall and a waterfall is this big it's like a waterfall without any water. It's a solid. Mm-hmm. So like you're going down the waterfall sort of. But yeah, those are like some basic elements of a bowl. And then the park is basically taking all these different ramps from the street course, which is on the street more, mm-hmm. and, and the bowl and kind of mixing them together. And you get all these different like variations of obstacles. I love that there's all this language and names of the tricks and names of the parts of the park. It's really awesome. Yeah, it really is. It's beautiful it's like yeah yeah what's it been like to be on the national team leading up to the olympics i mean like do you have kit do you have camps like how's that working 
Well, since it's so it's so new and fresh out of the water, all of us are really, really close. We grew up together, you know, skateboarding and doing all of these fun competitions, all these different competitions, even before there was bigger and bigger competitions like the qualifiers. So we know each other and we're really close and family-friend-oriented. So we usually skate a lot together. But then sometimes there'll be like a national team summit where we all get called up to go and have like a, like a media day or just a get-together day where we learn when all these different events are and what we can do and how we need to disbelieve in ourselves to get there. Mm-hmm. And then, honestly, to be on a national team, it's, it's really crazy. I just remember the first time we got that email. We were all really confused, though, because, you know, skateboarding's never been on that kind of platform. So we were just, like, taking it in, like, wow, this is really happening. Not only is skateboarding going to be in the Olympics, but we get to be on the team, which is such an amazing thing. I'm, like, so grateful for that. So we're all really happy. But, um, yeah, the team is close. It's just we all kind of live a little far apart. So when we do get together, we're all really happy to see each other. Right. Is it weird to bring competition into sort of the culture and, you know, all that other stuff that you were describing that's part of skateboard and has been part of skateboarding for so long? I'd say it's it's a little, it's a little crazy. <laughs> like the Olympics versus something like the X Games or Vans Park Series, which are other platforms. I think what makes it so different is that the Olympics brings so many sports onto this big playing field, and it's really an amazing thing to see skateboarding there. But before that, there was X Games, which was a little similar, but I think it's not weird that the competition is coming in. It's just kind of like a new asset, so we're all treating it a little bit like another skateboarding day mm-hmm. with a little out of pressure at times because we want it so badly. I think I think it's just mixing in and blending in right. a little. Do you like competing? Yeah, I I really do love competing. I think it's it's a lot different than being by yourself on a normal day because there's so much more energy and hype and crazy emotions that happen. But I really, really enjoy competing because of that, because it's your chance to showcase your love and your passion with your friends too. And with your team, with your family, they, they're all really supportive. And competitions, we've been doing them for so long now that they seem just kind of a part of us in a way. So, yeah, I really enjoy it. What's the process from now until the Olympics to actually get on the team? Well, right now we're going into our 2020 season. So our 2019 season had just finished up and we've gotten all of our things tidied up from that. <laughs> So now we're going into the 2020 season and we're still on the team. But I think now until July, we're all really, really working hard. I think that's just the biggest thing. For me, I'm trying to eat a little healthier and just trying to <laughs> trying to stay more and more focused on my dream. Because with skateboarding, that's the thing. Sometimes the ideas bounce around a lot and you can become scatterbrained because there's so many things you want to do. So I'm just learning how to prioritize that a little bit and trying to fit in things that I really, really want to work on to bring into competition. So I'd say that's the main thing, but I don't think that 
any of us or me at least personally is changing changing that much based on a normal day of skateboarding because I think as long as you're following your heart and still being yourself that's that's enough to get you to your dream as long as you keep working hard so I'm not changing changing that much how do you train usually I just go to the skate park and there'll always be someone that I know there and then probably because it's such a tight community right and my friends and I will literally will try new tricks together and sometimes I'll just go to the skate park alone and try new tricks and stay there in my little world and bubble for for a couple of hours and other times I'll be there and somebody older than me or one of my friends or a guy from another competition playing field who has a lot of experience and it's really amazing I look up to will be there and he'll end up talking to me and and maybe even I'll learn a little something and he'll give me a tip or a piece of advice so a lot of it's very spontaneous but I usually go to school all week and then when I get out of school I go skateboarding or I play volleyball or surf like for kind of cross training but also because I love it (laughs) but yeah What's the process of developing a new trick? I mean, do you imagine it in your head and then bring it to the park, or does it just happen when you're skating around? That's a good question. Yeah, I'd I'd say definitely a mixture of both. Like, there's a lot of visualization that happens because I think it's very magical. Sometimes you'll have this trick you dream about for, like, three months or, like, years even, and you'll even dream about it, literally. I have dreams about it about you landing it and then when you actually go there and apply it and then you land it it's it just goes to show the law of attraction and and belief belief is the biggest part of learning a trick and also like a lot of visualization sometimes though you'll just be there and this like magical thought will pop into your head this idea and you'll be like oh my god i just want to try that so it's, it's like an experiment at work you're experimenting with these like possibilities that really they never end because there's so many different kinds of them but at times there'll be a trick where it's really difficult and you think it's impossible and then the more you work with it and the more you experiment with it the more you understand the trick and get to know the trick and then you end up landing it and you realize it's possible do you crash a lot yeah i fall all the time and sometimes falling is is a miracle because sometimes you'll fall and accidentally get into this position. You're like, whoa, what was that? And it's like, that's the beauty of an accident. Like an accident happens and the accident is actually a miracle. It's like, wow, that's the thing that I want to learn what I just got into. And I think like, that's cool because accidents are kind of like a masterpiece almost, but, but I definitely fall all the time. I wear knee pads when I skate a lot. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'll kind of default to the knee pads, and that's kind of my <laughs> bailout. Like, sometimes I'll get into something and default to the knee pads, so it's, it helps me play with my experimentation. Can you describe what your competition run will be like in sort of these upcoming qualifying events? Like, how long is it? How many tricks do you have to do? Like, what are you thinking about? How do you start? That kind of stuff. Well, when I'm skating a run in competitions, the thing I usually start off with is tricks that I love and enjoy and the basic tricks that I know that I can get. 
that I feel comfortable with. I usually pinpoint all of the obstacles in the park and kind of see the park beforehand and visualize and mind map my run and say, I kind of want to do a back disaster here or a bonus disaster on this wall or just a big backslide over there and that can link me to the lean to tail. And I'll kind of, kind of choreograph it early on before I actually put it into a test run. And when I do test run it, sometimes it'll be so off. I'll be like, oh my gosh, it just doesn't feel right. And then I have to default to my instinct. And my instinct is usually the one that overpowers my brain. And I end up kind of formatting this run that I never thought I would do. And I'm like, well, actually, this, this works better. So there's usually, I'd say, the amount of tricks depends on the time limit. And there's only like a, you know, like 40 seconds, you know, to put together this run that speaks to you. Mm-hmm. And it's really important that your run speaks to you because you don't want to just be skating, you know, and then be like, I don't want to be doing this. Like, that's the whole overthinking part. You don't want to overthink. So you want to do almost that initial thought that comes to you and then put it into play and work with it from there. So that's usually what I do. Mm-hmm. What do you think makes you good at, at skateboarding? I'd say at the end of the day, definitely hard work. I mean, the more hard work I put into it, I feel like, it earns me it earns me the ability to have a good run or to be able to be consistent because I know I've been working hard and focusing. And I think what makes me good is I really I think I just believe, honestly. <laughs> I just wanna learn how to believe more. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you'll go and do something and you'll be like, Oh my gosh, why why am I doing this? Or you'll doubt yourself. And I think as soon as that doubt comes in, you're like, no, you can't, you just can't doubt yourself. So I think once I learn to believe in myself more and really be confident, even more confident than I already am, because there's so much to learn. You're, you never stop learning. So You've talked a lot about belief and being confident. Have you always thought about that? Do you do mental training? Is this a new tactic? Like, where did it come from? I think... It really, really came from skateboarding. And I think skateboarding's made me that person because it's made me realize, like, in the world, anything you try to set forward, like, all of the passions that you have, all the dreams that you have, if you're just kind of doing them, you know, if you're not believing yourself and getting in tune with your groove, like, your music inside of you and your frequency, if you're not getting in tune with that and believing, then you're not living right, I feel like, you know? You've got to really trust yourself. And especially with skateboarding, because you can be trying this trick and not even getting close to landing it because you're you're literally, your stream of conscious, you're just completely thinking about that consciously, the literal movement. Oh no, I have to turn right four degrees. I have to completely spin upside down. But if you stop thinking so analytically, it's weird. Something happens and you just feel it. Like you really believe and feel it. Like you see all of these weird, like in my head, sometimes I see like colors and music notes. And I feel like it's really hard to explain. There's this warm feeling that goes over me and I just know I can do it. And then I, I do it because my subconscious is doing the talking and I'm not overthinking the analytical perspective of the skateboard because it's so from your heart. 
that's just how skateboarding is and with any sport really yeah, it sounds sort of like getting into the flow that a lot of endurance athletes talk about. Yeah, but sometimes there's times where you have to be, I guess you watch yourself on video and you can be analytical, like, whoa, I'm leaning so far back. But it's it's good to be a little analytical, but not completely. Right. I love your Dickies work pants. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so how do you decide what to wear for competitions? Oh, well... Okay. I mean, there's just different competitions. Honestly, I really go crazy about it. I, like, have some outfits out, and I try, like, 20 on. I'm like, nope, nope, nope. But that's just me on any given day, kind of. But then other times I'll wake up, and I'm like, I'm wearing this. I just feel this, you know. Right. But it definitely depends on the day. Um, I'd say, you know, weather conditions if it's hot. But usually I'd always wear pants or some sort of overalls, and comfort to me comes before anything so if something feels completely comfortable but it's very plain i maybe i'll spice it up and draw on it a bit or draw something that i feel represents me in competition i usually always wear something that has meaning to me like that i can you know draw and i'll always draw like a little music note or something or a little a little star just there's these a couple symbols that i feel like in competition I love having. So I'll usually do that or a polo shirt or just a little collared shirt. Something simple but sophisticated. It's simple because it looks simple, but then it's sophisticated to you mm-hmm. because it has a simple meaning. So, yeah. Nice. Are you going to have a Team USA uniform at the Olympics? Yeah. So they're making these designated uniforms for us to wear. Right now we have a red and blue big jacket. And we also have a white and black vest, sort of. And then we have a bunch of Nike gear and workout spandex and a couple shoes. Mm -hmm. A lot of it, it's all kind of given to us by Nike. But we don't have the uniforms that we're going to wear. I don't really know what they're going to look like yet, but I've heard they're they're making them. And it's it's so exciting because it's like, whoa. (laughs) But but, um, yeah, right now we're given some really nice gear. We just went to this Nike facility a couple of weeks ago, and there was these fun basketball courts, and they let us do a couple of stretches we should do before we, you know, work out. So. Mm-hmm. Well, that's fun. Yeah. Describe the equipment that you use, which it basically is the board and the wheels. So describe those and maybe what you like and, you know, like what's important. Yes. For me, definitely mob grip tape on my board. Mob grip tape, it's really... It's flexible and it's durable grip tape, but also it leaves room for, I always decorate my grip tape, you know, maybe I'll like cut out some flowers and put it on the grip tape or draw in Sharpies on the grip tape. And then I have Bones Wheels, 56. I've always used Bones Wheels. And then Independent Trucks, which is on the bottom of the board, Bones Bearings, a lot of Bones and Independent. Mm -hmm. And then I always wear Converse. I love Converse so much. They're definitely my favorite. They just, once again, like they kind of just resonated and they're very iconic for me, I guess. I don't know, I love them. And then I have a lot of Silly Girl decks, which is my sponsor. They're a little quiet right now, but worst case scenario, I just we just make blanks out of the Silly Girl decks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, things like that. And then we have these pride socks. They're like these cool rainbow socks that my friend Rachel makes. So I wear those 
anything sometimes like dickies or just regular clothes I find from thrift stores, stuff like that, and then triple eight helmet and then one eight seven pads. Cool. Are you particular about like what are the variables of what works for you and what doesn't work for you in terms of the board and the wheels and maybe the other stuff, the grip tape? This might sound weird, but usually it it comes down to my shoes, honestly. Yeah. Because my shoes it's a little obviously different for everyone, but for me, my shoes, I'm kind of weird because I wear the Chuck Taylor Converse, which have like almost no protection for your shoes, where you can completely feel your board. And a lot of people love shoes that obviously are very comfortable protection and you can't feel your board at all. But I like to feel my board. So I always wear the Chuck Taylor Converse because I, I really feel I need those for skateboarding. And then I walk around in like the other shoes that people wear. Mm-hmm. Do you like tight shoes? Like, do you tie them tight? Okay, well, I usually if my socks are thin, then I tie them a little looser. But if my socks are longer and thick, I tie them a little tighter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I try not to think about it too much. But sometimes, you know, when you just feel like something in your shoe, you're like, oh, no, I got to redo it all. Yeah. You know, it's like a perfection thing. <laughs> But then if you're not thinking about it, you're like, oh, it doesn't matter. (laughs) You've covered a lot about what you like about skateboarding, but what would you say if I asked you, what do you like about skateboarding? Well, I think the biggest thing that I love about skateboarding is how it creates this place in me where I can escape to my own planet, a planet that nobody really knows about at all. It's almost like riding a magic harbor ride of your own ideas while you just see the world like completely different way it's very interesting for me like riding a skateboard it feels like i'm in complete control almost but but also i'm not in control at all it's like my my conscience is not in control my stream of conscience is flowing out of me and then my subconscious is doing all the work like the ideas in my subconscious are coming alive and i'm not completely overthinking anything but I'd say skateboarding makes me see the world a different way because like you'll go riding on a skateboard and you'll see this stair set and suddenly you'll be like oh my gosh I can ollie that or you see this this trash can you think oh I can flip that upside down and and skate on that and you become like you can completely skate the world in a different way so that's probably the biggest thing and then I love, like, having a relationship with my board. Like, she has, like, a spirit, and she's, like, my best friend. So it's just really fun. Cool. I like that. My bike has a spirit. Really? Of course. I know, right? I mean, of course I do. Right. In your biography that you sent me, you write about skateboarding being like art, and I know that you write music and stuff. So what do you mean by that? Um, I think skateboarding and music are almost completely identical I mean there's so much relation between skateboarding and music because music is definitely an escape it's definitely kind of like an alter of reality like when somebody plays a music note or or strums something there's all of these different things that come out of that single note so much vibrancy and frequency and it's the same thing with skateboarding like you do a trick or, or you just carved down the street and there's so much color and and beauty that comes off of that so it's almost like both of them are 
this expression of a deeper part of you that nobody else sees, but when you do see it, everybody interprets it so differently that it's hard to actually find, like, it seems like it's related, but then you see that everybody has a mind of their own in music and skateboarding. So they're both that release of creativity that everybody interprets differently because they're both art and they're both a complete expression and loss of control. I just say that it's really beautiful that they're both instruments and they're both these things that everybody can have access to. <laughs> Did you like skateboarding as soon as you started? Yeah, I lo- when I started, I was really young, so I had this burst of curiosity because I would talk to kids and, you know, I'd be, I'd be just, you know, involving myself in the daily life and saying, okay, this is English, this is the world, and take it in. And then you looked at skateboarding, and I was like, okay, this is completely different. You know, this, this plank of wood rolling on the ground, and I'm skating in a bowl and a pool that I thought was supposed to be filled with water because that's the English definition of it. <laughs> so my curiosity just got completely overflowed. And I wanted to figure out what it meant and everything about it. So then from the curiosity, I definitely developed a passion after a while, especially when I got older, because I didn't really understand. I still don't understand everything about skating because that's impossible. But I think I I really just found skateboarding at a young age and wanted to see what what it meant. So I went along with it and developed like a huge passion I'd say around like age 12 I was completely or like 13 I was completely in love with it really. Mm -hmm. Since you're young and many of the listeners will be older than you are I'd love to get your impression of Mm -hmm. what it's like in women's sports right now and do you keep up with you know everything that's happening in women's soccer and the WNBA and things like that? My impression of women's sports right now is definitely a lot of progression a lot of progression. I mean, I think the progression comes from all of these girls being influenced by each other because one girl one day said, I'm going to overachieve this this point. I'm going to follow my heart and do this. And then somebody followed that and said, well, she can do it. I can do it. And then before you knew it, all these girls are chasing their dreams. So when I look at, you know, like the soccer, women's soccer, I don't follow... I don't follow a lot of it that much, but when I do look at things like that, I'm kind of in disbelief because I think the way our world's evolved is there's like an endless amount of progression and it's still progressing so much. So I'm just really honestly thankful to see that and happy to be part of this generation. So it's really, really fun to see. Yeah, I'm envious of, of you being sporty at at your age in 2020. I think that's great. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Is it equitable in skateboarding? Is, you know, like, is prize money equitable? Do you feel, yeah, do you feel it's equitable? Yeah, I, I definitely do. I was kind of around when that whole debate of, you know, the equal pay was, was getting brought up between men and women. And when they finally did get equal pay, I think I was like 13. I still didn't understand it that much. But now I look back and I say, wow, that is, that's amazing because that's how it should be. You know, a girl's doing her passion, a guy's doing their passion on an equal playing field. It should be an equal amount of prize money. So 
when we do good in competitions and you end up doing your best, honestly, that's not like sometimes people would be like, oh, yeah, you get a lot of money, you get this. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm so thankful for that money. And it's definitely very equitable as a woman skateboarder. That's really amazing. We can do our passions and have fun and play around on the skateboard and get paid for that, which is crazy. But at the end of the day, I'm really, really sick. I'm doing it for my happiness and because it's my passion and the money I'm thankful for, but I would never do anything for the money, I don't feel like. Mm-hmm. It's honestly, it's crazy to see that we get paid for doing what we love. So I'm just thankful for that. Yeah, I think it's great. The Olympics are coming up, so this question may be a little bit hard, but what's next for you past the Olympics, I guess, maybe? Like, do you have a long-term goal? Well, I definitely have a lot of different ideas, a lot of different directions. Some of my long-term goals, I mean, maybe even after the Olympics, which is crazy to think about, but it probably consists of a little bit, you know, college. I really love neurology, and I love languages like the metaphorical aspect of languages and the literal aspect of languages, like how, you know, people all around the world can understand each other speaking a language and how it's so crazy. But um, I love neurology. I would love to get into that or do some linguistics. And then also skateboarding forever, no matter if it's competitions or just traveling the world and skateboarding, maybe writing. And then also Another dream would be something with music. I love music so much, and I love being able to write music. So if people could just get joy out of listening to my music, that would also be really, really awesome. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, definitely skateboarding, music, some college, trying to figure out maybe science. I've always been into science or writing or journalism, Mm -hmm. things like that probably. Those are some ideas. Yeah, you mentioned traveling. You travel a lot. How's that been? Yeah. Honestly, every single place is so different from each other. Yeah. I think every single experience has been, there's been something there that's changed me as a person for sure. Especially places like China or France. You see, like, those places are so different, but but they're also, they're so similar because They've both changed me in similar ways. I'd definitely say my favorite place is France right now. Mm-hmm. That place, you know, when you think of a place you've been to and all of the memories there, and it's like whenever I leave on the airplane back home, as much as I'm happy to go home, I've always, like, cried on the way back home because it's like leaving that world behind and going back to another world. And as much as you love the other world, it's like you're leaving that world behind only to go back to it later on. But um, all the places have been so amazing. Like Brazil was really fun and China. China was really fun and chaotic, which made it fun because we were chasing taxis a lot. (laughs) We had to try to get into the taxis. And one of my friends, he left his phone in there and started chasing after the taxi. And then Brazil is, some of my friends are from Brazil. So it's like their hometown and all the people there are so much fun and we were on the beach in Rio, I think. Yeah. And that was really magical. The first place I've been to, I think, out of the country was Sweden. And Sweden is 
yeah, it's, it's so artistic and it's Europe and everywhere in Europe is, I love Europe a lot. It's my favorite. And your next competition is in Peru. That should be interesting. Yeah. I'm really excited to go there too because people speak Spanish there too. So I've always wanted to be around a climate and like try to acclimate to somewhere that spoke another language. It's so much fun to hear people speak another language, but but also, I mean, Lima, Peru, I, I can't believe we're going there. It's crazy. I always like to ask about food, and you mentioned that you're trying to eat more healthy. What are you doing? Yeah. Well, up until like two days ago, I was trying to set a boundary, like no unhealthy sugar. And uh, well, last night we had like s'mores, but I mean, <laughs> but sometimes, you know, like I'm trying to be able to run in the morning on an empty stomach and then just eat eggs after like healthy fats and things like that and just be mindful and then of course there's those days where you just want to have fun and throw some s'mores but up until that point just not always eating all the time you know unhealthy sugars making better choices mm-hmm. things like that but yeah not not completely dieting or anything but just making better choices right is there anything that we didn't get to that you would like to tell listeners? Maybe they, they should really get into skateboarding or find a dream that they can hang on to and chase it. Because I think obviously, like, I don't know, we're all put on this planet for a reason in life. And you've got to go for your dream spontaneously or map it out and be analytical. But whatever method works for you and don't let somebody take that away from you. Excellent. Excellent. (laughs) Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, I really appreciate you being on the podcast. It's awesome. Okay, well, good luck with everything that you're doing and your dreams, too. I appreciate that. I do. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. I hope you enjoyed and got something from this week's show. The most important thing to do is share it with all of your favorite women and sporty friends. Find us on social at Hear Her Sports and sign up for the newsletter for more thoughts on each episode and other issues in sports. I always include links to things I think are cool or interesting. It's terrific to hear from you, so send an email to elizabeth at hearhersports.com or call our hotline at 725-BE-BADASS, 725-222-3277. Our incredible design is by Agnes Studio and music by the band Goldmines. Till next time, bye-bye. Awesome. Have you ever wanted to know how to win a Formula One Grand Prix? I mean, really know. Know about the driver tactics from the cockpit, the strategy calls from the pit wall, and even the mind games in the paddock. 
There's a lot more that goes into winning a Grand Prix than just 90 minutes of racing. So every week on the F1 Strategy Report, we're taking a deep dive into the decisions that shape every result. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato, and every week I'm joined by an expert guest from the paddock to talk through the big calls that won the race and the missteps that resulted in bitter defeat. Before every race, we'll look back at the previous year's result and consult the current form guide, and we'll be in your feed after every Grand Prix dissecting the outcome and what it means for the championship. So for your regular hit of Formula One analysis, subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast on the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name's Michael Laminato, and I'll catch you after the chequered flag.